Hello and welcome to episode four of The Shortlist, the official podcast of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents Australia, which is, of course, the lead regulatory and representative body for bloodstock agents in Australia. Joining me today from the sunny Gold Coast are two esteemed members of the Federation, Julian Blacksland from Blue Sky Bloodstock in Queensland and Grant Burns from Premium Bloodstock in WA. Gentlemen, G'day, good morning. Are we up and about today or are we feeling some pain from a, a long night perhaps? Fresh as daisies. I have, a, I have a, a farm and two small children and I'm at home. So um, very fresh, up at, up at 4.10am this morning, which is not my preferred time to get up, but that's what happened today. Yeah, morning, Shark. Um, no, fresh as a daisy as well. We've had a couple of days off between the mares and now, so uh, rearing to go today. It's been a busy series up here, the National Series, hasn't it? Starting with the weanlings and then the broodmares and now rolling into the, the yearlings or about to roll into the yearlings. Uh, it's a long haul. How, how, do, how do the buyers, like, how is there enough, I guess, strength or volume in the market to sustain, to sustain three back-to-back sales like that? I think it's always, you know, this sale's always been a bit like this. I remember when I worked here as a bloodstock consultant and, 20 years ago, and, um, you know, everyone knows the June sale is a big sale. We call it the June sale, but um, this year especially, like, it's incredible, the, the resilience of the Australian bloodstock market and, and the demand for horses, you know. The weaning sale was incredible. The mare sale was incredible. Um, and I've heard from a lot of trainers that they're still looking for horses. So, you know, there's 500 yearlings going to sell here tomorrow and Wednesday, and... I'd imagine it to be, you know, the way it's looking, it looks like it's going to be one of the best June yearling sales they've seen. Yeah, we're, I tend to agree. I think we, we're coming off the back of what have been really good yearling sales throughout the year, which has uh, been quite remarkable, to be honest. And uh, heading into this sale, there's a lot of confidence in the industry. And obviously that set the tone for the weanling sale and, and the weanling sale then flowed on to the, the broodmere sale, obviously blessed with a, with a lot of quality offerings there so um it's just you know i guess it's just keep rolling on which is uh which is quite incredible and uh thankfully we're we're blessed with the industry that we work in here in this part of the world we touched on the, the weanling sale then that that weanling market was absolutely crazy i reckon there was a little bit of fomo from last year with covid where everyone was kind of walking on eggshells a bit didn't know what the yearling season would be like but that strength has probably given the, that market confidence to go and buy and pin hook but there was another element that I noticed in the weanling market at this uh, this June sale, this national sale, and that was trainers. Is that something unusual or is this something we expect to see more? Trainers sort of buying weanlings and, and effectively stockpiling them for racing stock? Yeah, I think trainers have, I reckon in the past, trainers have bought them with a view to resell them, you know. But this year it looks very much like you say, like they're buying them to... Um, to race them with some of the prices last week, I think if you were to pin hook them, you'd get a stitch next year, <laughs> you know? So it'll be very interesting um, leading into next year off the back. I mean, everything feeds itself, doesn't it? The strong yielding market fills the breeders up with cash and then breeders like most farmers, when they get a good crop, they reinvest back into the industry uh, it's like when the farmers get a bump of crop, they go and buy a brand new tractor and they, you know, so farmers can't help themselves. And that's essentially what breeders are. Um, 
be very interesting come January 2022, the expectations on what yearlings are worth, you know, because some of these weanlings that sold, they made huge money and, and I don't know. I think it'll be very interesting to see. I reckon a few blokes will come a cropper because, again, the weanlings here that you're seeing, you're only seeing 20% of the crop, aren't you, if that? Mm. Yeah, there's a, that end user, as we call them, that, that person buying the foal or the weanling to, to race, uh, it's an interesting market. And, and you know, from their point of view, those buyers, they think they're buying well because they're not paying yearling prices. And off the back of what I said before, like we've had you know, record yearling sales throughout the year. Um, if that carries on, which hopefully we'd love it to next year, well, then perhaps those buyers, those, those end users, those trainers have, have bought well. So time will tell. But, um, yeah, look, it was, a, it was a great market and very buoyant, which was, which was good for the industry. Grant, it's worth noting as well as um, your bloodstock business in WA, you also work for Magic Means as an auctioneer and famously bought the hammer down on on Winks, didn't you? Yeah, it's my one claim to fame. You know, I guess that's <laughs> something I'll uh, something I'll be able to have that no, no one else can take away from. Does me. that annoy so, Steve Davis, Grant? That you sold? <laughs> look, it's look, it's bragging rights. He he sold octagonal, but that was back. That's in, a long time ago. Yeah, and, that's and a the, long you know, time ago. Yeah, the replay of, the, of selling octagonals in black and white on an old beta tape, mm. we reckon. So uh, you know, look, it's uh, <laughs> look, it's more bragging rights than anything else. The luck of the the luck of the draw for me, but uh, I can. It's one thing they can't take away from me. So uh, bit of humour. We have a bit of uh, banter over that. <laughs> I, think, I can see Steve lying awake at night thinking about that. Oh, he'd secretly hate it, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> uh, good fun. So as an auctioneer, fun. how high do you think the yearling market can go? What what are your expectations next year? Yeah, look, there's nothing that seems to, there's no indicators that look like it's going to slow down. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of money staying in Australia, which is obviously the important part. So the, the, the consumer at the, at the final end, the, the, the person buying the share in the racehorse, the, the, the end user being the owner, um, there seems to be a strong appetite to racehorses in Australia. We're absolutely blessed and we're the envy of most other places in the world. So, um, that's really encouraging. And the fact that no money's really being spent outside of our country and staying internally in Australia uh, is pretty healthy for the economy. You know, look at the house market, uh, all those indicators sort of suggest that people are going to keep wanting to invest in, in sort of, I guess, leisure items. If, if you want to call a, owning a share in a racehorse, you go and try and buy yourself a camper trailer or a jet ski or um, all those sort of things like there. The demand for them is so high. And I think the demand for a share in a racehorse is, is, um, is pretty high too. So that's really encouraging, which means the trainers are going to have confidence to buy more yearlings. Uh, I, I can't see it slowing down, which, uh, which is really good. JB, it all starts, you know, the yearlings begin with a mare and a, and a stallion and, and you're renowned for your premium broodmare offering, particularly at this sale. And you had a, a big draft go through. Tell me about how you put that draft together. How do you put together a group of high-quality mares? Do you go sourcing them? Do people bring them to you? Where does it begin for you? It, 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 it certainly, I was sort. You know, I do source them, and and it started. This is the fourth year of the consignment, the premium consignment. I stole the premium from Grant's name. It was yeah. going to be the Blue Sky consignment. And I thought it was missing something, so I've added premium. Yeah, absolutely. Um, off the back of grand success. So I certainly had to chase pretty hard the first couple of years um, while we were building the brand. This year it was nice, I think, off um, 
past success the last couple of years selling horses for Chris Waller. Um, so it was nice this year we were offered mares for the first time. Um, but obviously Melody Bell, I chased pretty hard. I got in early with her. I started chasing her before Christmas. I thought she'd be about the best race mare to go through the ring this year. And I was pretty close. Um, so, yeah, I, I do chase it. But I think now being an agent as well, I know all the trainers. I'm from their side of the fence. Um, so, you know, getting around the sales and buying yearlings, you talk to trainers, you watch race fillies, we target them, we have a list that we, we go through and it sort of all comes together. And then this year we've had a lot more thrown at us, which is great. So from a, uh, I guess, beginning to end point of view, you're doing your work at the yearling sales. You might spot a filly that you really like. You might miss out on her. Yeah. Do you put a circle around her or jot her down in a black book somewhere and say, I'm just going to keep an eye on this girl. And, and if she does do something, I'll follow her up at the back end and see if I can resell her and at least get something out of it. It's probably not that it's probably not that long range, but but certainly fillies we've had anything to do with we follow, uh, buying as yearlings, but definitely. I keep a database of stakes fillies and well, you know, well-bred yearlings that are, that is a is a rolling list, and that gets added to every month. Um, and we and we you know we target them. Certainly, some trainers have allegiances to certain studs, and that's who they sell their stocks through. But um, I think the Blue Sky consignment, the one thing we've got going for us, we're not Coolmore, we're not Arrowfield, but we're independent, and so. You know, if Chris Wallace sells his race fillies through Blue Sky, he's not upsetting any of the big studs he might train for. So that yeah. that's an advantage we've got, I think. So I guess people listening, there'll be a mixture of laymen and women that's sort of just interested in this side of the industry and then those that are more au fait with what goes on. You hear about yearling preps, weanling preps. I think people understand what's involved in getting a horse to a sale as a young horse. What about a broodmare? What sort of prep do you have to do with them? Do they do any handling work or exercise work? Do you have to get the ones off the track to cool down? What, what do you do with them in terms of a prep? Yeah, it, 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 it's quite similar to a yearling prep, really, and it very much depends on the condition they arrive in. If they arrive to us after a long racing prep, they're quite skinny, they're very tight. You know, they look much like yourself, Shark. I see you've got a bit of bead of sweat coming down your forehead there and in for a run this morning, so... But these these race you didn't believe me before, but it's true. There's not many members of the federation who would have gone for a run this morning, Grant. I wouldn't have thought. No, that. not too many. Um, but but yeah, if the if the race fillies come to us eight or ten weeks out and they're finished racing, it's more about getting condition on them. Um, other fillies and mares that have been out of racing for a few months, it's about tightening them up. Um, I find that race mares, when they're you know if they've if they've done somewhere between six and 10 weeks, uh, they go on the walk up, they're on a sale prep, they're rugged at night, they come in at night. Um, they're on a special feed. If they need it, they'll go on the treadmill as well as the walker, just tightening them up. But if you can have them athletic and fit, you know, even half fit and get their coats right, you can see their action a lot better than you can if they've let down after 12 months and they're in broodmare condition, you know. Mm. So we try and present them, even if they'd finished racing a few months before, we try and present them as a racing prospect. And it um, it just shows them in their best light. Yeah, there's, there's some fillies that will only come to the sale for one or two days as well because they will be fully in there, still in a racing, racing preparation. And that's the, I think that's probably one of the, 
uh, great things about this sale is with the Queensland Carnival on at the same time, there's fillies that will walk through the ring last week that were uh, held nominations for some of the feature races still to come over the carnival. And, and that's quite an um, advantage to those people selling them and quite an appealing to the buyer to say, well, look, we're going to breed her this year, but between now and the breeding season, which doesn't start till the 1st of September, we've got an opportunity to perhaps uh, get a return on our investment uh, by running in, in some of these nice races over the Queensland Winter Carnival and, and maybe even adding some value to them, winning some more black type. So, Grant, you're sort of on two sides of the fence, I guess. You're doing your prep work at the sales, looking at these mares. How am I going to sell them? How am I going to get those buyers in the ring sort of hot under the collar to, to bid and buy? But in your role with premium, you've also brought a lot of mares to set up farms and start farms and working with farms to sort of build a broodmare band. How do you approach a sale like this with, with both of those hats on? Yeah, so it's important to be able to draw a line in the sand. So when I'm at the sales with my uh, Magic Millions contract as an auctioneer, um, my job is to, I'm working for the vendor. My job is to, to promote that horse the best of my ability through the, as it enters the sale ring, offer it and hopefully get the, the best return that we can. So in, in the lead up to that, I'll go out and inspect those horses, look at them, uh, have a look through the pedigrees myself and, and get a feel for what I can say to promote it. Because each horse basically gets two minutes in the ring or, or even less uh, in some instances. Um, so my job is to talk to the vendor. If there's got, they've got any points they want to add to it, they'll let me know. Oh, gee, look, she's nominated for next Saturday and she's going to a group one, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those sort of things. Or the mother's in fold of this or the sister's here. She went to there, et cetera, et cetera. So all those I'm looking for all the highlight points that I can offer. Um, with my own business, um, like with the weanling sale, for instance, I went around and looked at every weanling. I can create a bit of a list for some clients that ask me, and I just say, right, there you go, you're on your own. You can either bid online. If you're here in the sale, you do your best, but that's my advice. But my job now is to go and be on the other side of the fence and, and work on behalf of the vendor. You've got to look after your own interests there. So. Um, I think that's the one key thing about the Federation and all our members. We've got such a diverse group of people on there and so many different experiences in, in different roles, which I think um, makes the Federation a great point of uh, contact for anyone looking to get involved. You know, we have people that they value horses, they buy horses, and Julian consigns horses. Um, myself, I've got a, a bit of a different skill with the auctioneering side of it. So um, it's, a, it's a great point of contact for people out there. Um, I'm sure if someone had any query in relation to our industry and they contact the Federation, we'll have someone there that can assist them in some way, shape or form, because we all do work together as, as, as a group. We've got our own businesses and do our own thing, but it's important that we um, can satisfy an inquiry or the, the demand or whatever it may be that someone puts to us. Another talking point out of this little run of sales was the Shadwell dispersal. And I guess, well, in my sort of time following the bloodstock side of things, the Teeley assets dispersal is probably the nearest comparison in terms of, you know, anticipated quality stock that was dissolved through the public market. Why was the Shadwell dispersal so special? There was an aura, a bit of an aura about the mares and the wheelings in particular that went through. Well, this is a very special group of horses built up over 30 years by um, by the shake and managed by Hubie de Berg initially and then Angus Gold, you know, the, um, most of the good fillies were kept to race and, 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 and you know, really high-end stuff, blue blood families that you can't get into, you know, and Angus Gold's a hell of a judge and he's bought some of the best blood stock in Australia, 
over the last 30 years and um, they've been managed beautifully at Yarraman Park. So I think when you get a, similarly to the Chile assets dispersal, when you get an opportunity to buy into these families, you've really got to pay a premium to do it because the opportunity doesn't come up very often. Um, Angus is very well respected and liked in Australia and um, he's a hell of a judge. You know, they've had enormous success with that group of horses trained by the Hayes family and... Um, yeah, I think I think when it's a, a once in a lifetime opportunity to get into it, the market certainly responds. Yeah, I t- I agree. I think, um, and you can see there's still there's a lot of young stock there, and and to show that they'd constantly trimmed away and got down to a group of mares that were now they weren't old by any sense of the mm. imagination. So they're actually they were the best of them, and as Julian said, it's taken thirty years to get there, um, and then finally, you know, it's fair to say they were probably just about ready to take off. And for any farm that, that wants to invest or is looking for a foundation mare, you were, buy, you were buying them basically to keep them for life though, I think. you know, I don't think they were, a lot of mares and, and horses we sell at the sale up here, especially are, are traded. You know, you're buying a pregnancy, uh, you're buying a young horse to turn over. Uh, these were keepers. These were fine art that you're going to hang on the wall and you're going to keep. Yeah, it's fascinating watching them all go through and the money they were making, gee, it was... And the constant reference, too, to the quality that Angus had bought, I think, across all the auctioneers made reference to that. And there was that... Yeah, it was a real tribute, I think, to that body of work that he'd put together as a, a senior blood sock agent. I think it's it, that was that was a nice touch as well across that sale. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and it's, it was 30 years in the making, you know, with the, yeah. um, a lot of investment uh, and to come to that. And they sold accordingly, which was really good. Now, from something like Shadwell to a, a question from one of our listeners, Adam Nelson, who writes in, I'm in the process of selecting stains for a half a dozen mares that I own this coming season. And there's a challenge of finding what suits on type, factoring in commerciality and what suits on pedigree. And he'd like to know what tools, i.e. Group 1 Goldmine, True Nicks, etc., the bloodstock guys in the Federation rely on to determine the suitability of pedigree for their purchase or mating decisions. Is there anything Sounds like Adam like... needs an agent? Sounds Adam like needs an agent. He's shopping <laughs> for free advice here, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think Adam needs an agent. He needs to get in contact with one of the members of the Federation. Um, we use a few tools. You know, um, you've obviously got your, your own experience over the years, but I think I got asked a question the other day, you know, how much does a pedigree versus type work and as good a judge as I think am, I am of buying a type, statistics don't lie. And so, um, you know, those those stats on nicks and crosses and, you know, ordinary pedigrees, no matter how good a judge you are, it's, it's very hard to overcome an average pedigree, I think. You know, you can get it right sometimes, but generally speaking, the statistics don't lie. I I use Arian Nixon crosses. I, I think it's yeah. a great toolbox of information. Um, uh, we use some other system. One of our trainers uses some other system, which I'm not even told how to get them, but it's some magic list of, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think everyone's different. Um, and it depends what you're breeding for. Like there's a lot of people that breed in commercially, so they want to, They've got to breed that good-looking product to put in the sale room. But ultimately, you're trying to breed a fast racehorse. So you've got to try and match your mare to the best 
stallion that fits into your budget uh, that you think can breed you a fast racehorse. And yeah, a lot of that's temperament, uh, type. So does that does your mare match that stallion? Does her temperament match that stallion? You know, horses can be hard to train if they're if they've if they're too ratty and they don't want to be racehorses. So um, you know, I've got a good client in the West that's she she's an amazing breeder. Um, doesn't have a big budget, has bred some incredible horses, group one winners. Um, and it's all about type and temperament for her. Um, and then we try and find where the budget fits. Um, so there's a lot of factors that will decide what you can afford to go to or where you can afford to go to. And obviously, if you're in the commercial market wishing to sell your stock, you've got to then predict what the market's going to want to embrace and buy when you go to sell that resultant foal or yearling or whatever mm. it may be. So there's quite a few factors that you need to take into consideration before you can uh, work out what matches. But ultimately, we're all trying to breed a fast horse and um, that's, to me, the key thing. I think the other thing, and we talked about, we touched on this on off air prior to starting the podcast, but where the horses are reared, how they're, how they're reared, how they're fed, um, that's so important. You can have, you know, you can be by deep impact out of winks, but if you're reared incorrectly yeah. and, and that foal's not fed and reared the right way, it doesn't matter how good your pedigree is. That horse is going to show up to the sale being, being you know, not developed correctly, um, any veterinary work, you know. So the, the farm's really important. And I got told, I worked for Adrian Nickel of the BBA when I was 26, and he said to me, I'll give you a piece of advice. How to make yourself look a good agent is to find work out the six or eight farms that consistently sell stakes-winning horses and buy from those farms, you know. Yeah. So... We, you know, I still pretty much stick to those rules and where possible, I try and buy off the proven perform farms because obviously they're doing something right when they're rearing these horses, they're growing these horses, they're feeding them, they prepare them well. Then the, they go to the good trainers. So then they get a good opportunity. So I think as well as the tools the guy's looking for, apart from getting an agent, he needs to, he needs to make sure he's got them reared right on the yeah. right farm. I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You look at any, you know, humans, you look at other animals, like, you know, look at a hippo versus a, you know, an animal that can, you know, like, like a racehorse, you know. Well, look at the shark compared to us. Yeah, really, absolutely. After he's run this morning. Absolutely. Very good example. So, you know, you can, you can make them look round and shiny for a sale uh, as well, and then the horse might sell well, but ultimately you're not going to breed yourself a fast horse. And that's really important to get. It's important to get the right advice. And, you know, whilst... We say, say it tongue in cheek about getting an agent. Um, agents, and especially our members, we've got so much experience. Mm. We've got guys from uh, all different parts of the industry that have been uh, you know, an integral part of the industry for a long, long time. And uh, it doesn't hurt to seek their advice. Well, and listen, agents' interests are aligned with that of their clients. We've got big egos. So we want to buy good horses. Yeah, you know, We want to be known as people who buy good horses. So that's why a lot of work goes into it when we're when we're helping clients either breed a horse or buy a horse. When Gadam's getting the message, get on the phone, <laughs> ring up one of the federation <laughs> agents. Hammer it, Adam. Have you have have more advice? <laughs> <laughs> but, no, it's amazing how many people are, I think have started thinking about this side of the industry, particularly last year with COVID. People have a lot of time on their hands, you know, and maybe start exploring passion projects. And it's great. I think it's it's a good thing for the industry that people start looking at breeding and 
and selling young stock. It's, you know, rather than just the punt and rather than buying a horse and seeing if it's fast or not or a share in a horse, you know, there's a whole other part to the sport, which is really enjoyable and, and really fulfilling. And yet, look, the sales season's coming to an end fairly well off the back of this sale. We've got Great Southern to come uh, with Inglis in Melbourne. What does the rest of the season look like for you gentlemen? What, what happens now? Uh, for me, I'm back to the West um, and, and then basically gearing up for the breeding season. Uh, yeah, the West, we're our own little country over there almost. And um, whilst I've got clients, I've got mares in the East, we, um, we're probably not under as much pressure over there with our stallions to, to book mares straight away so we can fold things down. And it's probably a very relaxed industry there. So um, I'm sort of thinking on the hop the whole time. We've, the mares had a fold. Where are we going to go? So we booked the mare in. So there's always plenty to do. Um, the clients, the mares in the east, we've already sort of got those locked in, ready to go. That's all done and dusted. That's a job done. But the west, it sort of carries on and drags on um, throughout the whole season because it's, a, it's I guess it's a, a little bit slower over there or, or not as um, not as hectic as it might be in the east. So I've got uh, I've got plenty on my plate. But I'll uh, take the next couple of weeks of uh, putting the feet up and hopefully it's not too uh, too wet over there and enjoy a bit of a break then into the season. Yeah, it's an interesting time of the year. Obviously, we'll be doing last-minute bookings and that sort of thing. Up here in Queensland, the breeders tend to wait a little longer to book their mares. And, and, and like probably similarly like in Western Australia, you've got a bit more time to book your mares up here, so they'll often wait to see what their foal looks like before they make the booking. Um, from an agency point of view, outside of that, we we actually look overseas to a few sales that'll happen later in the year. You know, we've got the breeding stock sales at Keeneland that'll come up in November. Um, we don't, we can't go in person again this year by the looks of things, but um, we'll use other agents over there to act for us and, and find stock for Australian breeders. And, and we'll look to Tattersalls as well. And, um, and then maybe even we bought a couple with Sam and Anthony Friedman, we bought a couple of yearlings from the Tattersalls, yearling sales. So, so probably focuses towards the European and American sales. And I think now the world's getting so much smaller with online buying and that sort of thing and using agents working in together in different countries, you, you can still get access to good information on horses at overseas sales. And, um, and that's where agents can be really useful. Yeah. And we are the envy of the rest of the world down here with our, our racing and breeding industry. And, and there are a lot of agents that have, have got overseas clients that are uh, looking to invest more than they have in the past, which is really good too. And then, I guess, you know, the sale, this sale, for instance, you know, you're starting looking for next year already. Like Julian would be for his consignment. You know, you, these race fillies and fillies off the track now are a really important part of the industry. Once upon a time, a few fillies got kept or sold. Not, you know, not so many got sold. Now it's a really, that first day of the Magic Million sale, and obviously the um, the chairman sale in uh, Sydney as well is those race fillies off the track. They're so highly sought after that you're constantly now looking all the time. Gee, there's a filly that yeah. might suit. You know, she's coming to the end of her racing campaign. Let's uh, let's lock her in for next year. And it seems a long way away, but there may be people that buy now and then retrades. There's a lot of yeah. trade going on all the time. There's always- Probably followed the American market there, but I remember when we first went to Keeneland breeding stock sale 10 15 years ago and you and, and there were a lot more top fillies which would get sold whereas in yeah. australia the, the they were generally owned by a, a big breeding operation and they'd keep them but australia's gone that way i think yeah where they'll cash them in you know they take them to the market and they used to be sold privately didn't they Grant? a lot they more 
fillies and mares off the track were sold yeah. privately, but it's become like you, we saw it the other day, and I use Graceful Glamour as a, as a good example. Like the the skin syndicate were here, uh, the young lad that mm. led it through was was a part owner. Uh, he works with one of the other studs, and you know they the whole enjoyment of that. And I know the Triple Crown guys had their group of owners here mm. when they sold one as well, and the excitement. It's almost like they've gone through the whole racing career. They've had a wonderful time, and this was like the the, the final step before she takes her journey into the breeding barn and they sat here and drank champagne and celebrated. Yeah, the Melody owners, they had a dozen owners over here from New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's become a really interesting part, that side of the of the, of the industry. It's a nice little vision to, to finish the episode on, boys. Grant and Julian, thanks so much for joining me. Hope uh, I hope the listeners get something out of that. I'm sure they will. Well, I th- you'd like to think so. We think uh, people might want to get involved and race a horse because I'll tell you what, the uh, the fun and excitement we had is uh, is second to none and and, uh, and the returns in this part of the world are, are outstanding. The best fun you can have with your pants on, isn't it, Grant? I think they might be right, Jay, but be <laughs> now, there's a vision that I'm not so sure we need to end on. But anyway, well, anyway pants on. Pants on. Pants on. on. Pants, on. Yeah, yeah. pants on. Definitely pants on. This has been episode four of the shortlist for the Federation Bloodstock Agents Australia. And remember, if you are requiring assistance from a bloodstock agent, go to bloodstockagents.com.au. Mm-hmm.